Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce today's guest. However, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, background. So, you heard the story of a muscle mentor that joined a Pride Alliance back in the day. Well, you may have heard the legend of a bodybuilder who joined a pack of wolves and for many years believed that dogs were far better than cats until one day a pride lion of Luke Hoffman came along and convinced him otherwise. It is the one, the only, Callum, the muscle mentors. How are we doing, buddy? I'm still not convinced. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Callum has actually just adopted a cat. Is it Barney? By force, yeah, he basically <laughs> moved into our house that's, without asking. That's what he wants to tell you guys. However, yeah, um, yeah. it's an absolute pleasure to have Callum on. Uh, he is the fourth Muslim mentor to come on uh, the Scottish podcast and uh, absolute privilege to have you on, buddy. I think that from all the listeners, um, they've been waiting for this for weeks because we put we were going to record something. How many, yeah. weeks, how many weeks were you out? Uh, oh, it was close to the show. A couple. It was a couple of weeks. I think it was two or three weeks. And ever since then, literally at least two or three times a week, I get a message: "When's the episode with Cal? When's the episode with Cal?" Yeah. So today we're going to deliver on that. Now I have known Callum for a good sort of three years now, but many people out there, if they've been living under a rock, they still don't know who you are. So what I want you to do is: uh, can you give the listeners a brief history of? You know who you are, what you do, your bodybuilding career, and perhaps coaching career to date, um, and then just a, a little addition about the muscle mentors and what you guys are all about. Sure, um, I think I, I started PT like most other people in terms of coming through like a commercial type health club setup. Uh, first started at LA Fitness um, a good six six or three years ago. Uh, and then I, I presume the majority of people will first know me from probably working at M10 from the physique camps because that's where I met, obviously, it's where I met you. Uh, and a lot of the guys that, you know, I now am in touch with and still in touch with through the industry, a lot of it came through um, kind of the networks between M10 and people attending the camps and you know, just meeting other people on courses through those years. Um, and then through that time frame, in the last kind of three or so years, Luke Obviously, you've already interviewed Luke. Um, the gym that I left in Kent, Luke basically took my space as a PT in that gym when I left to go to M10. Uh, and we went on a couple of courses together, not really knowing each other in the time frame after that, and then started speaking and kind of hit it off. And obviously, we started our podcast as a result of that. And it wasn't really, um, like we didn't really have the direct intention of, of, of starting a business from it. It was more just like a passion and um, we wanted to put some content out there. And then after a few weeks of getting a lot of interest, we were like, this does make sense if we were to make something out of this. Um, and then one thing led to another and we went into business together. And then you, obviously James and Ryan have been on as well in the last uh, year or so has been, um, with uh, with James and Ryan as well as a four, so four musketeers of the muscle mentors. Now. <laughs> um, I love that. Then, dude. Yeah, I, 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 go on, Michael, what we can say. I was just saying that 
you know, for anyone listening out there that hasn't been to the Muscle Mentors courses, if you haven't checked out their podcast um, and everything that they do, uh, please go ahead and do so. It will be one of the best investments you ever make within yourself. As I said to to Luke um, and the other two guys, in my opinion, you guys are at the top of the game in this country in regards to physique development and, and everything in between. Um, and I know that um, James might be a bit disappointed on this one, but you certainly have been the biggest influencer on my career so far, systems and everything that I do. So for me, mate, a massive thank you. I've said this to you umpteen times over the years, but incredibly grateful for everything that you do and coming on here. So without further ado, I think we should crack into today's episode, which we are going to talk all about prep and peaking. But I think before we get into that, just to give the, the listeners an idea of what you guys do, they, they, they maybe follow your stories, their posts, and they, they see you talk about recovery, stress, digestion. A lot of them might just think, you know, is there is there any need and why place a big, you know, such a big emphasis on it? But I want you to just give the listeners uh, your thoughts on, well, why it is so important in the quest for, you know, optimal physique development. As I think, um, yeah, it's a good question. So the we've obviously, as a as a coaching unit and as a business and where we've all learned and studied and people we've studied off as well, we've kind of tried to, and there, there are a lot of other people doing this as well, we're not the only people, um, but we've tried to kind of blend a more holistic way of thinking into physique coaching in terms of, you know, what are the core elements of coaching an individual to optimize their body composition that aren't just a calorie deficit and a training program. And we've got the depths of like exercise mechanics and Luke can speak, Luke and James can speak till, you know, there's no words left to say in terms of optimizing exercise mechanics. And we can go into such depths there in terms of how to optimize someone's training and, you know, keep them injury free and, and, and train someone effectively. But also like, if you look at bodybuilding and bodybuilding in general any bodybuilding is at least term for anyone that competes or wants to better their shape doesn't have to be the extremes of bodybuilding just bodybuilding in in terms of you know physique optimization it's quite a it's quite a dogmatic um bubble within the industry in terms of this is this is what we've always done so this is how this is how things are done now yeah um and when you start to open your mind to how kind of the human body works and the, the relevance of the nervous system and all of these things and how we can optimize physiological response, a lot of that comes down to like the really foundational things in terms of just getting the body functioning as optimally as possible. Um, and to kind of reach peak performance, we've got to have peak health at the same time. Um, without peak health, across the year we can't have peak performance and like bodybuilding as a as a general rule of thumb when you take things to the extreme especially in the competitive circles you know we'll we'll have a certain time especially through prep where there is a slight trade-off with health to take the body to those extreme places and you'll know more than anyone about that yeah. i'm sure a lot of the listeners will know that now but then the foundations that we've built for the rest of the year that try and safeguard that for the majority of the year then come into their own because we can 
do our best to stop stuff breaking, if that makes sense. Because yeah. we've done the hard work already in terms of building the habits and building the routines and, you know, effectively managing stress and sleep. There'll always be times where those things deteriorate, but we're optimizing it for the, the other 300 days of the year. So um, the extent of which they tank uh, is obviously significantly less. And it means that post prep, we also have, you know, an immediate contingency plan and action plan to get someone back to optimal health. Yeah, um, and like from me to chip in there, I worked with James post-prep uh, 2017, and I'm sure working with yourself this year will be no different, but how the the difference, because you know, my old coach was uh, very old school, very broad, very much this is the way you do it and this is how you get it done, um, but to see the difference in level of care in someone's health, um, you know, I think that uh, James within... You know, I, I went on with him a week after I had finished, and he was just like, "Let's get your bloods done." And up to then, I was like, "What does that mean?" You know, mm-hmm. like, "Why are we doing that?" He's like, "What's your blood pressure? What's your HRV?" And it opened my eyes to a lot of stuff. And I think that that's one thing that we we often don't see in the industry is, is care after prep. It's like, right, let's get the result, let's get the fucking pro car, let's get the medal, whatever, and then hey, see you later, or let's do the photo shoot and. And, and get to fucking and it can leave a lot of people lost they can rebound hard we can get eating disorders and whatnot so i think that the emphasis that you guys place upon health is unbelievable and um for those of you that don't know uh i've called calm friend for a few years but now he is my coach um and you know even with working for you for over like five six weeks we've managed to get blood pressure down to you know fairly healthy ranges and whatnot and again it's just an, uh, an additional example of how much you guys care about health now I'm going to dive straight into the aspect of today's episode, which is mostly to talk about the prep journey. Now, we know it is so individual, right? And so, so today we are going to talk quite in loose terms, quite generic terms, because obviously things can be different from person to person. But we'll try and do our best to to explain. Uh, you know, you are the master of peaking. Um, and I, I want to pick your brain, and I'm sure the listeners want to hear. Statement. That's statement. <laughs> the secret is just get people in shape, and then don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But if we were to start from day one, and by that I mean, let's say you've worked with a client for a year, you, you've covered yeah. all the basics, you've got tissue on them, and, and they're ready for a prep. So let's say they're about twenty weeks out, and and what I want you to perhaps give the listeners an idea of. Is, is perhaps just the usual things you would see along the way. And, and I'm, by that, I mean in sort of barriers and how we might work around them. So for those of you who don't know, in the first few weeks of prep, not much happens. So I'm going to say from about 20 weeks out, and if you could sort of take us up to the sort of eight-week marker where I know things for, for yourself get very detailed um, with your clients. So in that first initial stage, let's just go basics, you know, what sort of things would you see you commonly face with clients if there are barriers or if you know you see things don't work quite as well? Is there anything that comes to mind? I think at the, the like the start of prep for especially someone that's given themselves enough time, which like that's one of the big things about a successful prep is time, um, and the the kind of the everyone's heard the statement of the kind of prep before prep, and I learned that from. Um, going to the muscle nerd seminars with Luke Lehman where he kind of made that term and that's just as important as what you're doing in prep itself in terms of the, the position the body's in before it actually enters that darting phase at all um, and one of the things that I'll specifically do now with clients which I didn't do a couple of years ago because I didn't appreciate the importance of it and the value of it but 
if somebody comes on board for a prep, unless there's someone like yourself that I know they're optimizing things year round, like I'm not going to prep you from week one of coaching because we need you know two three months before that prep before that prep begins for us to actually get to know each other and for me to get to know how your body ticks. Um, but that distance away from a show or even a shoot as well, when the goal is to really take body composition to 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 the depths. Um, the big thing you'll see for most people who don't know how to kind of gauge time in a prep and how long they have left and the adjustments they need to make and when will be they throw the kitchen sink at it and they, they act far too aggressively far too early. And like you'll, you'll hear me talk about it a lot where we're looking at like tools in a toolbox and saving enough as many tools in that toolbox as possible for when they're actually needed. Uh, at the start of prep, if you're eating enough food in an off season, and you're, you're on an appropriate amount of output. Some people do cardio in the off-season, but it's not going to be excessively high. Like we have got such a long time frame with so many variables to manipulate that we don't need to use everything at once. Like We could increase steps. We could add in non-training day cardio. We could make a calorie adjustment. Like there are so many things that we can do, but the big thing you'll see is somebody gets 20 weeks out, and they, the coach puts them on an hour of cardio and drops the calories by 1,000 straight away. It makes no logical sense whatsoever. And then in six weeks' time, their body's in a place where it's accumulated so much fatigue, they're 16 weeks out from the show and they're already, they're already screwed, um, which is why people struggle so much. It's just patience and having the confidence to make these small, small adjustments but make them incrementally over time. I think that's a great point because not only will they chuck the kitchen sink at them with sort of cardio and, and low food and whatnot, but like I've heard guys go on trend like 20 weeks out yeah, and I'm just like what the fuck but yeah. it's oh well that's that's how they do it down at that gym and everyone does it in there so we just run it and you kind of go right well there's no or logic behind that it's like oh yeah we pull test out with four weeks to go and you go just because that's what people do but that's sort of neither neither here nor there but i think that the emphasizing patience is, is huge man uh, and i completely agree with you there's always you'll get this as well right you'll get a sense of urgency but a client will inquire on like a Monday and, and you'll respond with an email and they message you straight away being like, cool, here's my show dates are in 12, 14 weeks, let's do it. Yeah. And you're just like, whoa, I've not even seen a picture of your physique. Uh, I don't yeah. even know, as you said, how well you're sleeping, what your recovery is like, where your food's at, blah, blah, blah. So I think that any coach out there or competitor listening, they know they say, right, okay, 20 weeks out, minor adjustments happen with food and, and things like that. But, I'll know personally from watching a lot of your, your clients you've prepped this year, the likes of Josh, Erin and whatnot, that you had them checking in almost every day from about eight weeks out. And, and that's something I never saw before. And I, like, I thought to myself, I was like, that's interesting and I wonder why. Now, I want you to, if you could, perhaps tell the listeners, you know, eight weeks out, what, why are we doing that? You know, what are we looking at? Um, and is there anything that you're trying to manage on uh, a daily basis yeah so like when you like i call it that the business end of prep where in an off-season phase the requirement for frequent adjustments is is not existent because like for you for example at this time relative to how long away your show is we don't need to be making adjustments every you know every every three days or every two days because we need time for your body to settle into what it's actually programmed to do in the first place. 
once you start to get to a point like eight weeks out, if somebody's got a 20-week prep and they've been dieting for 12 weeks, the necessity for you to make adjustments on a more frequent basis is, is very, very present. And the body will be responding at a much quicker rate as well. So you need to be much more responsive in terms of your ability to identify what's going on and to adjust things accordingly. And if you're checking in once a week, we might have missed three or four days where an adjustment could have been made 72 hours ago, yet we only speak to them on a Saturday, so they're not going to communicate. Um, so the importance of, like, for my guys, communication through WhatsApp, but also when we get to that proximity towards the show. And it may seem like a long time away from a show, like eight weeks, like that's a fucking long time, but once you get to two weeks out, you know their body like clockwork because you've spoken to them every single day for the last eight weeks. You know how they respond to, you know, food. You know how they respond to higher days. You know what what symptoms to look at in terms of biofeedback. But it also builds massive amounts of trust as well. So if you're communicating on that level, anything that's going on, nothing gets nothing gets slipped. Like how how much of a how much of a competitive journey is psychological as well. Oh. And how many times will you wobble? And how many times will you will you have self doubt? If you're checking in every day and speaking to your coach with that kind of positive. Um, positive reiteration of what's going on and uh, this is such a mental battle that just having that little bit of communication each day make, makes a massive massive difference um even if it is like in like for example erin's prep for example there are some times through that prep where she'd check in and sometimes i wouldn't even look at her photos i just want to know how she's feeling for that day because if she's having one of those days where she doesn't feel too good she doesn't need me to sit, say Oh no, your legs are this, or your upper body looks like she just needs me to be to reassure her of what's going on through that process. And then as soon as she gets that positive reassurance, everything changes the day and her, her kind of mindset on the day changes. And it suddenly immediately becomes more productive. So um, that kind of frequent level of communication gets optimal response from a physiological perspective because we're more responsive over adjustments, but it's also from a communication and a trust and a rapport perspective just advancing that relationship significantly when it needs to be advanced. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't do it with with anyone this year bar Clara. And it was after, you know, you, you and me had a chat. I think we trained at M10. And you sort of kind of said exactly what you just said, but, but briefly in a few words because you were absolutely fucked. Cause you, yeah, yeah. you know, because you were three weeks out. For those of you don't know, I travelled five hours to train McCallum and he sat down with his headphones on the whole session. I think I spoke to you like once. <laughs> right, but um, I started doing that with Clara and we've actually got an episode that's dropping Wednesday. Um, and, and I talked about how, you know, as a female, she'd wake up, she'd look in the mirror and instantly some days go, oh my God, I'm fat. And oh my God, I'm the same next thing. And if on her own, left unchecked, that thought would fester. And then the next day, our mental state would be worse. And then mm. let's say her checking day was a Saturday. I, I know that she would have had a wobble by then. But let's say she wakes up. This is how I put it. She wakes up. She looks in the mirror. She has that thought. And then she has to, you know, take photos in her pants, send them over. And in that, she communicates and says, hey, I'm having a bad day, blah, blah. And then as a coach, you just send a screenshot from yesterday to today where they look better. And you just say, get ahead of gas. Mm. Shut up. They look better. And she goes, oh, okay. And then it, to back up your point, the the relief for her to be like, all oh, right, fucking, it's time to, it's time to go work now, I'm, I'm feeling good. It, it was literally like 180 degrees some days, but you'll be the same in regards to that. I bet you when Erin checked in, right, you maybe perhaps by six weeks of those eight-week check-ins or, or five weeks in, you didn't need to look back 
at her photos. You didn't need to look back at what her food was at. You just probably she check in and you just know what to do. A hundred percent. And like for like the perfect example is especially if what to be honest, guys are just as as bad as girls. But like if you give someone a high day, or Erin used to do two or three high days in a row, and I know exactly how much her weight would go up by twenty four hours after we did it. I know what she'd look like. She'd freak out because her weight's gone up. And then three or four days after, she'd hit a new low and she'd look the best she's ever looked consistently every single time. And like when we used to go through that process, we did it so many times that she used to tell me, I know I'm freaking out, but I'm being stupid because I know I'm going to look better in two days. Like it's, it's just getting so in tune with what's going on that, you know, the client even starts to learn themselves as to what they expect. And that's, that's a massive part of trust that needs to be present. Um, but you brought up a good point a minute ago when you said, like the the psychological um, reassurance, but also when you look at competitors and how, like anybody that competes is going to develop or has already quite an addictive personality and quite an extreme personality in terms of when they go to work, it, like they really switch it on and, and go go for it. Anybody that competes has got to be like that, otherwise you would never make it on stage to an extent. Now, if we were to take, for example, a client who hadn't dropped weight all week or had slipped up on their diet and hadn't told us, and then the following few days they were missing meals or they deliberately cut their food or they hadn't dropped weight, so they increased their clan by 40 micrograms without telling us. <laughs> like, how many times have you heard that? Like, yeah. oh, I just put another tab of cleaning because I hadn't dropped or something. <laughs> it's so but, true, man. I've got one guy who does that. It's just, it's just stopping that happening in the first place. Otherwise... Like without communication, stuff just stuff just doesn't go doesn't go well after a while. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think what one thing that just to add to before we move on to the next point is that even at eight weeks out, or say six weeks out, someone could still be prone to to losing a little bit of tissue. And let's say they had slipped up on their diet; they're only checking in once a week. Two weeks can go by where. Maybe someone's you know extremely lean, their hunger's so high, there's no emotional support that they just cannot adhere to the diet, and mm. they maybe instead of dropping in those two weeks, they go up two three pounds. Now instead of being on track or ahead, you're in a situation where someone's behind, uh, and how many times perhaps? And again, the only reason I'm using uh, females as an example is because their capacity to lose tissue is a lot higher than us assisted guys. Is mm. that how often will a coach? literally run them into the ground and they go on stage and you're just like where the fuck is your glutes went where's your hamstrings went because you had a, a little blip and your coach put you on an hour of fasted cardio every single day and told you to not message them until check-in day it's just not a good scenario but i think it's just uh, something to add in that we see it in the industry so much and that often that level of care is not there and that's what i really respect about you guys is that it's there from day one and it's like clients needs emotions are put at the forefront of what you do um, yeah. and for those of you that don't know Callum dieted for well you probably do if you follow him Callum dieted for a show uh, earlier on this year which he won so you can imagine and mate like you sent me that photo like four, four weeks out and I went Callum please do an earlier show so I, yeah. I, I and I saw how mentally fucked you are so you were still in that scenario and how, how bad you felt but we're still putting clients needs first and, mm. and doing their check-ins and whatnot. What I'd ask you is, have you had experience or seen coaches that when they're prepping themselves, that their level of service or care goes down? 100%, yeah. I think that's, I think that's relatively common as well. Um, 
you know, I, I deliberately stopped taking on clients when I started prep. So I held a lower number of clients when I was on prep because I knew I wouldn't be able to manage it otherwise. But yeah, there were times through that prep where like, if you're traveling to watch clients compete or, you know, that, that's why I used Jordan through my prep because I didn't want to think for myself. I just wanted to be a robot and do it. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to actually manage everyone else at the same time. Um, so it was kind of I sent my check in to, to Jordan in the morning, cracked on the work, waited for him to tell me if things were good or not, did whatever he told me to do. And then my complete focus was on, on my own clients because, you know, as soon as we get in our own heads and be kind of, we're starting to be subjective about our own decision making, that's when things start to turn, can turn, you know, pretty, pretty nasty, which is why, to be honest, like people who prep themselves, like I have massive amount of respect for because, I don't think I could have, especially for the first time, I don't think I could have done that myself without my head falling off. And you you, you knew that as well. When you, especially when you came down to M10 and saw me, I was done. Yeah, man. I've, I've, never, I've never seen you like that before. I was just pretty pleased that I was able to shift the same load as you for once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not now, though. Not like a couple of weeks ago, Cal was doing a lot more than I was. Um, but, yeah, it's just something that I, I see a lot of. And it's something I've experienced before. Um, when I think back to my very first prep, you know, I, I was on, I got told to go and train like 10 weeks out. And uh, as we've spoke before, I'm like, man, train just doesn't really sit well with me mentally. So I yeah. want to use it for the shortest time possible. But back in the day, I thought like, that's what I needed to do. And I, I'm like the hardest worker in the room. And I just got to sort of put up with this. Whereas um, it's just, I guess, learning from that mistake on what not to do, learning from you guys, um, it's helped me become a better coach. Now, from we've, we've talked about eight weeks out, and let's discuss a little bit closer to the show now. And I want to take us from eight weeks just to four. So for those of you that don't know, we've went 20, a big jump to, to, to sort of eight, and now we're just going to talk about four. Now, from your perspective, is there anything you'd be looking to change around that time and you can talk about males and females or vice versa uh, and it could be anything to do with programming uh, perhaps it's nutrition more frequent feeds perhaps it's drug changes or whatnot but from about four weeks out in genetic terms what are we sort of thinking about changing or could change uh, as that, that proximity towards the show um, you just got to accept the fact that the fatigue that's been accumulated for the last 16 weeks will be at the starting to peak at that time so fatigue is going to be very very high inevitably mental and physically and everything we can do to try and make the management of recovery a little bit easier needs to be done so you know ideally for, for the like 99 percent clients for all my clients i want them pretty much ready for, for what they would be condition wise in the show by you know two or three weeks out from the show, so we can a start to play around with food, and b we can start to slow the deficit down in terms of right. Let's pull your steps down. Let's pull your cardio down a little bit. Maybe play around with a little bit more food in terms of adding in a few higher days. Because how many times have you seen a diet go through until the well go through until the show with you know an extreme deficit, and somebody ends up going on stage just looking stringy and fatigued and tired, and nothing's popping. They can't pose properly. Like this is 
all of your hard work for the last 20 weeks ruined because you went pedal to the floor all the way through until one day out and then realized <laughs> I can't pull this back because my body's just fucked. Um, so four weeks out, it needs to be the fact of, right, how am I going to now make myself look as best as possible on that day? And it's not keeping your foot down to the floor. That's not the way you do it. Otherwise, you're just going to look tired and fatigued. Your body's not going to be responsive to food. Like I was telling you, especially how lean I was at that length away from the show, like we were putting food in and it was just going straight through me. And that's a pretty bad sign. If you can't fill out and you can't respond to more food, then you need to slow down because your expenditure and the deficit that's in place, when you're already really, really lean, it's, it's just too excessive. And that's a really easy way to throw away your prep, male or female. Um, so like, as a rule of thumb, give enough time to be able to be ready early and get an appreciation of what you look like and then have enough time to manipulate variables and first see actually how you respond to the manipulations. You don't want to try a load a week out from show and then not know how someone looks and what happens to body weight. And that also comes into psychological management as well. Like once you know how much weight approximately someone is going to gain after you put X amount of food in, you can pre-plan that and then write, I know they look best two or three days after we put X amount of food in for X amount of days and we can time that perfectly for the show. If you're trying that one week out from a show, you have no idea what's going to happen and it could completely throw away a prep. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think that, again, because you've got someone checking in every day for eight weeks, you have so much data. And I put on my Instagram story the other day that uh, this was originally said by Tony Robbins and then coined by Carl. Yeah, I stole it. Is that uh, you can only manage what you measure. And I guess what I wanted to ask you, um, something I've probably never picked your brain about before is, I know that you guys are, are massive on um, HRV, uh, you know, blood pressure readings, um, fasted blood glucose levels. Now, as you start to get closer and closer to the show, do they become still an integral part of what you do? Or would you say because the communication is daily, does that sort of back off? Because you know by that point, well, listen, fuck, if trend's in, okay, blood pressure is going to be out off anyway. Or do you still do your best to try and just manage those variables? Yeah, like this is, this is where it gets interesting because like the focus on those variables as a benchmark of what health should be should be present for the majority of the year because you know that you're optimizing everything you can do. And that's obviously how we should approach the majority of the year. But once you get two, three, four weeks out from a show, especially for someone assisted who might be running Clen, who might be on anabolics that are causing blood pressure to go through the roof and different variables from a health perspective, those things are inevitable when you take things to the extremes. And especially if, if someone's extremely lean, you're probably not gonna sleep very well. Your stress is going to be through the roof. You're running on stress hormones. And it is part and parcel of the back end of prep. But we, we can still do everything possible to try and manage those variables. But aiming for perfect will just stress the client out because it's just not realistic at, that, at the depths of prep. So I potentially, like for the majority of people, unless they're really, really anal about continuing to track it, I would put those markers just to one side for the end of prep because... I know for a fact that if they track their sleep cycle and they see their sleep efficiency, you know, at 30%, that's going to impact how they wake up the next day and how they feel 
how they go into that workout because they know they've had a shit sleep and they, they've got an app that's telling them they've had a shit sleep. <laughs> right, I'm not going to be able to hit my numbers today. I'm going to feel like I'm going to feel like crap. The same thing happens with resting heart rate. Your resting heart rate will inevitably elevate it if you are taking certain drugs or if you are highly stressed towards the back end of prep. But it doesn't mean we can't do everything in our power to manage it. It's just the fixation on variables that are inevitably going to tank at the end of prep. You can't kind of take that as the be all and end all. You just need to manage what's in front of you day to day. Um, and you just accept the fact that you're not going to feel great at the end of prep. <laughs> I still remember. Uh earlier on this year I was prepping at the same time as my client Chris and uh, there was both one night uh, we were clearly obviously both up, he was on his couch I was on mine, you know, sitting rocking back and forth, watching like Transformers or something, because you, <laughs> you can't sleep yeah. um, and I guess that's a good point to me quiz you about I've, I've quizzed uh, Dr Dean about it, so I can imagine your response might be the same as, we know that the sleep cycle goes to shit like mm. towards our our side of prep and I guess that knowing that we can't optimize it because the body's in a in a in a quote unquote unhealthy place. What I wanted to ask you was is do you have any strategies you use? You know, for example, when I talked about Doctor Dean, we talked about um, Trend itself and it's Trendsomnia he calls it, and he said about he goes really high dose magnesium. Um, but I think that. You know, someone at the end of preps drinking so much water to stave off hunger that mm. they're just going to get up for a piss five, six times a night anyway. But I'll still ask you: Is, is there any strategies that you use to try and hold on to the sleep cycle, or do you just say to like? Because I just say, listen, this will go, and I'm really sorry. We can try and do as so much what we can, but it will go. But is there some something you've got up your sleeve again? The peaking master. I, I used to. Uh, I just used to nail adaptions. Like, like in prep, I was probably having like 5,000 milligrams of ashwagandha a day. Um, like my pre-bed drink, I used to like get a bit of warm water and then I used to put um, two or three scoops of support back snore, which is like two and a half thousand milligrams of ashwagandha, phosphocetylserine, um, and then magnesium glycinate, the sleep stack, melatonin. Uh, when I spoke to Dean, have you ever heard of a product called... Um, fade out by Redcon one yeah, yeah like it's brutally strong as well you like literally doze off for like 10 minutes used to have a scoop of that as well so like supplements wise i was dosed up to my eyeballs but it wasn't the fact that i couldn't sleep it was the fact that i was urinating so frequently i get up like seven or eight times a night every single night to go for a pee and that's obviously just completely ruining deep sleep um but even when i started tapering fluids and tried to be more conscious of lowering that intake in the evening it would still happen um, so after a while, I, I continue with the supplements and especially like, like for me, post-training adaption is really, really useful to try and lower that stress response and kind of flip the switch whenever possible, pre-bed, same thing. Um, potentially if someone's doing morning cardio and they're using things like your Himbin or they're taking Clem when they wake up, the same thing, try and flip the switch as early as possible. Um, from that kind of higher stress state to that lower stress state but with the like half-life of those drugs and how long they're going to be active in the system and you know how lean you are at the end of prep things aren't going to be optimal just accept it and do the best you can the more you stress about it the worse it is so um, the reason why like the daily check-ins are so useful and kind of for a period of time just putting the data metrics to one side is so useful is just try and get the 
decline to kind of see what's in front of their eyes and just take each day at a time and just focus on what they can control as opposed to stressing about things that are inevitably not going to be great towards the back end of prep. So I guess, obviously, we've had your perspective of which was you were drinking so much, but let's say, for example, you've got a client who perhaps wasn't having the, the quite so... I think you were said told me you're up to like seven to ten liters. If you had a, if you had a client that was like absolutely okay with just ignoring hunger, would you say that that sort of supplement regime that that you had, which is personal to Cal, would that would that work for them in regards to? Do you think that it would knock them out and knock them out for a while, or, or do you think you would still see that frequent waking just because the the sympathetic drive the body's in? Uh, like you can do your best to lower that stress as well. So I think anyone in prep, whether they're, you know, in any scenario, should be doing as much as possible to create that parasympathetic state when recovery is trying to be prioritised outside of the training window. And it doesn't have to be for supplementation. Like we could, we could meditate. We could do, we could do some breathing work. But for me as an individual, I just don't have the patience to do that when I'm when I was at that end of prep. Like I, I couldn't be asked to be honest. Like with you, I just wanted to sit down and and just not do anything and just be in my own head because I was just so fucked um, but if someone had the patience to do it then try meditation try anything that we can do to create that lower stress state but the easiest way that I could do that was take a supplement and it was it was effortless so that's what I did yeah yeah now how, how much was it was it 10 litres uh, yeah towards the back end of prep like, I probably used to go through one and a half litre bottle at least six or seven times across the day at least and in regards to like if we think about obviously like salt manipulation uh, the closer you get to a show well let's even bring it right back and let's just say that that salting meals is quite frequent across us in regards to bodybuilders did that do anything in regards to giving you cramps so it it wasn't cramping but it was the closer we got to the show we started to realize pretty quickly that however much food I put in, I would obviously keep fluid the same throughout. Um, and from our perspective um, through prep, we started to realize that because fluid was so high, I was flushing out a lot of the electrolytes that we were trying to manipulate. Um, so especially towards the Birmingham, the, when, when we got closer to the Birmingham show, like a week out, and we were using these high days, and I was just consistently waking up flatter and flatter and flatter. When we started to peak at the very end, and my food was like crazy high, and everyone saw me eating like 9 million rice cakes, um, he had to pull my fluids. Once we started pulling fluids down to an acceptable, to a more appropriate level, because I wasn't hungry at that point, because I was on quite a lot of food. Um, as soon as we pulled my water down and manipulated sodium and potassium, etc., how we did previously, it looked completely changed. So my fluid was so high that it was just flushing a lot of the stuff that we're putting out in out pretty quickly, um, which is why I, I potentially was a lot flatter than I could have been. I was um, literally waiting to ask you because I saw your post about like fearing being flat that a lot of many competitors fear throughout the. Um, God, you know, client be four weeks out telling you that they feel flat, and you just kind of go, "Yeah, that's fine." But what yeah. I, what I just wondered was, it was the reason that you were perhaps so flat all the time, and things were, you know, food was going straight through you, just simply because fluids were that high towards the end. That did you feel that it affected your potential 
you know, fullness, could you have got that little bit fuller if you'd pulled water down and, and trialled some stuff on, on lower water or, or was there anything you would have done differently? Um, the, just to put things in context, like it was my first prep and as a first timer, if you come in peeled and you can present that, you're probably going to do really well. So the goal for the prep was to just get inside out lean and we definitely ticked that box. But in the process of doing that, we definitely ate into muscle and we ate into my ability to present a fuller look. But it, it paid off because I, I beat much more heavily muscled guys on stage um, that were denser than me. They just weren't as lean. Uh, but from the perspective of my prep, a lot of that flatness came from this purely being in a massive energy deficit. Like eight weeks out, my training days were at 1900 calories. For Jeez. someone that weighed like 115 kilos, eight weeks out, 110 kilos, my calories were very, very low. Um, I think non-training days on, on a low day, by the time we got to like three or four weeks out, my non-training days were like 16 or 1700. Um, so my food was really fucking low. Uh, and that obviously contributed to a, me getting skeletal lean, but B, me, me eating into tissue as well. And if, if we were to rerun it, I think we'd be towards the back end of prep. We'd probably, um, instead of like feeding and then waiting for the drop, we'd probably just feed into the show consistently as opposed to uh, letting the body hit a new low before adding in more food. Because I was still eating into myself. Like when we were adding in those high days, two or three high days, my weight will go up the first day and then I'd, I'd hit a new low two or three days after and realistically probably the last two or three weeks of doing that wasn't wasn't that productive um if it pushed me forward like maybe one or two percent in terms of condition it lost me that as well in terms of, of fullness and that could have obviously been better on the day if that makes sense yeah absolutely now i think that sort of leads us right into the next question topic which was We've been we've been talking about four weeks out, but let's let's actually use a first time competitor as an example because often they hear about this magical thing that is peak week and that where so much changes and it's all you know magical rainbows and fairies and and this that and the next thing. But I think what would be best is if you're able to give the listeners a, a rough idea of you know why things probably won't change at they've probably guessed it by now because you did say clients will be ready two, three weeks out. But, um, you know, to take that whole thing away of loads of things change, can you maybe perhaps say, well, if there is th things that change, perhaps could you give a little bit of a description on them and then what things will perhaps stay just as they are? So I think, like, the common misconception is if somebody's not quite ready a week out this kind of magical protocol, the last seven days of prep is going to suddenly dramatically change the look. And ultimately, like we need to be in a position where body fat is extremely low for any of those manipulations to have any positive effects whatsoever. And for actually to be able to see them in terms of the cosmetic impact of what's going on. Like a surefire way to ensure that your peak goes well, quote unquote, is to just ensure that you're lean enough going into the final week of, of what you're doing. Ensure that you've trialed what happens when you put more food in, what happens when you put X amount of carbohydrate in, how much carbohydrate can you actually 
take on board before you spill over and create a slightly softer look? And how long does it take for that slightly softer look and film of water that you see go on after a high day or two high days take to actually come off? And then once you start to realize, right, you're going to need this amount of food for that amount of days. This is how we're going to distribute them across the day. There's so many days you're going to need to take after you've had that feeding window prior to that actually having to present your physique. Once you nail the intricacies of those elements, that's essentially what a, a peak should look like. But, you know, peaking in itself doesn't happen unless someone is actually in shape. Um, like just get in shape first and then worry about those details later. Like sodium manipulation and electrolyte manipulation, for 99% of my clients, those things will just stay consistent the entire time. They might change like 24 hours out, 12 hours out on the day of the show, but for the majority of that week, nothing will change in terms of fluids, nothing will change in terms of electrolytes. They will have some form of strategy where food will be higher at some point over the last seven days closer to the show whether we put food at the start of the week or whether we put food at the end of the week. Timing is going to be completely individual dependent. Um, but like nothing drastic happens. It's basically, you know, what we were trialing is their refeeds or their mock loads two or three weeks out from the show. Once we've perfected that and we know we can hit the nail on the head, we just do that for the show and we know it works. That's what we stick to. Um, but a, re a really good example would have been Erin. Because we had a couple of shows to lead into the, the, the weekend that she won a pro card in Italy, it was really funny because I was speaking to her like a week out from the show. Um, and she told me that her class, she, she was always like, the, all, both the two bros shows, qualifier in the British final, she was on late in the day. And Erin is an individual, the longer she has to wait on the show day, the more she stresses. And okay. the worse that look becomes later later in the day because she's an overthinker and she will stress across that day. And we, we, we knew that the earlier that uh, category would be, the better she'd look. When she wakes up in the morning, she's unreal, like ridiculous. And she'll check in. And then the last two shows, those qualifying the British finals, we saw that, we saw that look slightly deteriorate the later she got in the day. As soon as she told me that her class was on at like 11 a.m., in my head, I was like, she's won a pro card. If she completes in the morning, she's not going to get beaten. Because we knew exactly what to do with our food and our water. And I knew exactly what she'd look like when she woke up. Um, and that was the weekend she took it because everything was under control. And it was, you know, I could predict everything that was going to happen in that weekend because we'd done it like six or seven times. Um, the the whole kind of the, the, the important variable for getting someone to look their best is to just practice it. And get it wrong first before you can get it right yeah i think that's a great point to back up is that you said that if she competed later on in the day that she looked not quite as sharp as the morning and you know you can have someone listening thinking well you've dieted for 20 weeks for this when often if that's the case there's nothing you can do about it it's just that you can't control when that federation says that class is going on and I guess as, as a coach you know if those of you don't know I think you, I saw an Erin's story you got up at 4 in the morning was that right or, or something yeah, like that yeah we did we got up at 4 a.m. and did the check in every hour for every hour before stage yeah, yeah. you're not going to get many coaches out there that, that would be willing to do that and I think that again it shows the inter-individuality of how you work with your clients in regards to I bet you've got some clients on show day that 
they check in and you just say, okay, check in and again in two hours and they say, okay, and you don't hear from them. And then mm-hmm. perhaps, you know, they're all good. But then again, maybe perhaps in Erin's case that you need to message her frequently to make sure that she was calm because as Luke detailed in an earlier episode, stress on the body is huge. So I, I just wanted to give the listeners an example of, you know, what the UK's, one of the UK's top prep coaches doing and, and that level of care out there is uh, is not seen enough with with athletes. Now, having covered the majority of that, I wanted to quiz you a little bit, if we could, about do you use like natural diuretics within a, a sort of peaking process? It's something that I do and um, when... You're able when, when I've been able to use them and then implement food that we've had from data, the difference in peak week is just like mm. if the show's on the Saturday, like the difference from the Monday to the Saturday is crazy. Now maybe maybe the diuretics have gone in on the Tuesday or whatnot, but it's just when they wake up in the combination of both, I'm just like this is unbelievable. And that for me is like, and you'll get it as well. It's just so exciting to watch the body change in those sort of mm-hmm. last few days. But um, is that something that you play about with at all with clients? Yeah, like for most people, are, uh, there, there are two products I've used in the past, um, H2O Remove by Anabolic Designs and um, a product called Waterboard by Redcon. Um, plug, supplement needs to bring that one next year. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be better than both of them. Oh, um, but, and Doxygen has formulated it, um, so it will definitely be sick. Um but yeah, I, I've I've utilised that that uh, kind of approach with with the majority of clients. I very rarely use pharmaceutical diuretics for clients. Um, I still not using them, and the risk that's that's there with their use relative to the potential of that backfiring is pretty high. Um, if if we can get away with not using anything, then we will. But those kind of more herbal roots also work really really well whether some of that is a placebo or a lot of it is the actual um ingredients within these products that are, that's, that's doing the job um most of them will have things like dandelion root in and uber Ursi and um they definitely do work and i agree like cosmetically in terms of the change in the look that with the manipulation of of fluid makes a big big difference if somebody's lean enough in the first place yeah, I suppose that's a good point. That if you if you go to bed looking like the Michelin man, you're not going to wake up absolutely <laughs> fucking, fucking shredded. Um, but it was just a thought because some people swear by them, um, and others will will say they make no difference. But I think that as a competitor, they're always trying to aim for the extra one percent. And even if it was a placebo, if it gives them an extra one percent, they will take that all day every day because we know shows can be won and lost on a point as such now i'm just aware of time um but before we wrap things up here i I wanted to add and ask you is there anything perhaps with with prep or let's let's talk about the industry and and i'm not saying you know coaches in general i'm just talking about people prepping in general is there any sort of not flaws that you see within comp prep itself but i guess perhaps you've seen people compete before they do one show and then next thing you know they're a prep coach Mm. you know what's your opinion on that itself or are you still of the opinion perhaps maybe that 
everyone needs to start somewhere or if perhaps someone was wanting to get into the realms of becoming a prep coach where where could they maybe start um well i think as as a as a consumer within the industry if you're looking for a coach then just make sure you do your background research into that individual you're looking at hiring um but in terms of starting as a like quote unquote prep coach there's nothing that makes you special about the the words prep coach you just put on your some people put on their instagram bio to look special um you're just mostly a pt or just a coach in general (laughs) um um, you know it's uh you've got to start somewhere and you're probably in a position for most people where they might transition from gym floor pt to then specifically online like we've both done and you'll probably start with maybe um quite a few clients that want to do photo shoots and photo shoots is a is a not an easier process but a, a, a lower stress process to go through for a client and there's less at risk in terms of um you know what is going to ultimately happen on the day that you know the, the the event um and doing that a couple of times is going to gain you some experience in terms of what that process entails but there's always for anyone going to inevitably be your first prep client where you're shitting yourself because you don't know what you're doing and you're trying different things. And it's a lot of trial and error. But there's no book out there that says this is how you prep a client. Just learn how the human body works, get it wrong a few times first, and then start getting better at it. Yeah. And that's pretty shit. Like, there's nothing. When people, like, you've got to start somewhere. If people are hesitant about doing it, like, some of the best coaches in the world have been in the shoes that you're in now. And the majority of people that are doing well that you'll see on Instagram and people getting, you know, clients getting pro cards. They all start somewhere. It's, it's going to start somewhere, and then obsess about getting better. Yeah, and I can I can attest to that. That you know, like last year was probably my first bit proper year prepping people, put, putting people on stage. And there'd be times where someone would check in, and I'd, I'd honestly go, I don't know what to fucking do here. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm 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 not sure what I'm looking for. I'm not sure the the response that we're going to get. Blah blah. But I think that being confident in your decision making is something that I, I would implore and that if you as a coach show any signs of, not weakness, but any signs of unsure, your client will just stress to fuck. And mm-hmm. when I look at how I used to prep people last year and maybe perhaps the, the last six months of 2017, I was just like, God, I wish I could prep them again, but but do things so, so differently because how I do it now is vastly different. But if I could add to that and just say as well, have a coach because yeah. in my first year prepping people, James was my coach. Mm. And for those that don't know, James used to do check-in calls. And uh, the last thing we would speak about on a check-in call would be my training. Yeah. James would come across and say, James, this is a photo of my, my client. This is a scenario. This is what I'm thinking. Can I please get your advice? I'm not really sure what to do. And he would usually go, that sounds about right. Or, nah, that's, that's totally wrong. Or... Here's what you should think of. Um, so I think that the, the benefit of as a coach having a coach and learning from them is um, is something that I preach to any PT, and I'm sure you do as well. That that drops in your DMs, and it's one of the reasons. It's one of the reasons why, again, I wanted to work with you not only for the whole uh, the same reasons that I've got four clients doing the same shows as I do, and that I'd put. 110% into peaking them and zero into peaking me and the stress yeah. would be too high on the day whereas um, you know with Cal doing my coaching he can tell me to go eat some rice cakes whilst I'm doing client check-ins on the day 
or whatever and take that stress that uh, that stress away but ultimately mate I've learned from you the past six weeks that and I know right up until show day and thereafter I'll continue to get little snippets here or there because I'll pester you I'll text you I'll annoy you and if you don't text back I'm going to text you again <laughs> right. looks like your, uh, your rights are going up mate <laughs> <laughs> but, but ultimately it's uh, I had, had a couple of people the other day message me saying what, what's your best resource for for learning well number one I said go to the muscle mentors camps and work with those guys because you'll learn a lot and, and you'll continue to learn because the thing I like about what you guys do is that you give out stuff so freely you know mm-hmm. all four of you have came on the podcast um, and I'm incredibly grateful for that but not only that you know like Luke messaged me today about a, a video I put up and informed me that you know some things I said perhaps weren't correct and I thought it was awesome I was like not many people would take the time out of their day just to, to, to lend a helping hand. Um, mm. And, it, you know, if look, if you're listening, thank you for that. Um, it's just great. It's just humbling to see uh, you guys take such a different approach to, to everything. So to, to ask you your last question, my man, um, this is going to, something I ask everyone is, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned in life? And perhaps from that lesson... What advice would you give to someone that was in the same shoes? Um, I think it's probably very relatable to coaching and a lot of people that are coaches that are listening to this, their careers, but your ability to stay very, very open-minded in especially the earlier parts of your career and throughout and to be in a position where you're always learning off others and accepting the fact that you are never going to be a complete product as a coach. And there'll always be more that you need to learn and develop at. Um, and I think one of the biggest take-homes for most people is the example with you there and Luke is a perfect example, is in that situation, if constructive criticism and positive, positive criticism in a way, because he's yeah. trying to make you learn from it as well, it's not a malicious comment in any way. That's how Luke is. He does it with everyone. If you're upset by a remark like that, that's then a reflection on you as an individual and your inability to remain open-minded. Whereas you've just then said, I'm grateful for him to say that because you're someone that wants to get better. And it's the same with people like, if someone comments on your post that you've done saying, actually, this is incorrect. Um, You might want to look at this paper or you might want to read this book. I suggest that, you know, whatever. They may not be saying that in a malicious way. They may just they may just be wanting you to improve your knowledge and your knowledge base. And if you get upset by that, it's a big reflection on yourself. Like you need to take that on the chin and say, right, you know, I need to just learn more about this and continue to get better. So just remain open minded and continue to learn from others that are better than you. And you're never gonna be you're never gonna be perfect in terms of your knowledge base, and there's always more that you can improve on. And if you can continue to think like that, then the opportunity and the ability for you to just become an exceptional coach is just going to be a, a case of time. That's awesome, dude. Um, nothing else I could add to that apart from the fact I agree because there's been so many times in the past six years where I've just held my hands up and went, you know what, I don't know. I'm not really sure the answer to that. Or There's been so many times I've just went to someone, you know what, the, the problem you're having, I'm not an educated high, high level enough coach to do that. And I've literally went, go to Cal, go to, you know, 
the, the muscle mentors because because they they are exceptionally good at that sort of stuff and and it's not me so um however i wasn't always like that you know two three years ago or maybe actually three four years ago i was the opposite mm. i would get offended at things and i would think i was billy big bollocks and mr know-all when really i feel like i know less now but that's just yeah. be, perhaps been been open-minded about things now for anyone out there who's came on the podcast, they've went, "Wow, this this Cal guy, he's he's awesome. I want to know him. I want to follow him. I want to find out how I can get in touch with him. Can you give them uh, an idea of where they can perhaps contact you, uh, follow you, your Instagram handle, and whatnot?" Uh, yeah, sure. Um, Instagram is just my name with one L. Everyone says two Ls. It's one L. Um, <laughs> at the Muscle Mentors, uh, the same as Luke, the same as Ryan's, as Callum in front of it. Um, and then contact um, the the email link is in my bio. Um, I'm not taking on clients at the moment, so don't send me loads of inquiries. <laughs> uh, but on a positive note, um, we will be launching the website in January. So, for from an education perspective, in terms of a hub for you all to learn and and delve into this stuff yourself in a in an actionable and interpretable manner. Um, that will all be housed on the website. So we're really excited to um, bring that to fruition and launch that in January because it's something we've been working really hard. So it's been a long time in the process. Like I probably said like two years ago, oh, we're doing this website and this, but you know, when you actually come to it, it's a bigger project than you once initially thought. Um, but we wanted it to be perfect first before we launched it. Um, and we're pretty much nearly there now. So. That, that's coming in January, so that'll be a really good resource for people that can't get coached by us because coaching, you know, comes with its limits in terms of capacity, especially when the coaching is of high quality. Um, you know, they can they can still access uh, what we're kind of talking about and preaching about from that. Yeah, and for anyone that's listening, uh, Cal actually said off this recording that if you message him and say give it the beans, uh, you'll get a special <laughs> discount code for the website. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, but. Listen, um, from everyone here at Give It The Beans, Vito Physique, uh, I want to say thank you for coming on board um, for this podcast, but also a massive thank you to everything that you guys do and you stand for. Um, continue to inspire, motivate and educate because um, I know that where you guys are at now is perhaps just a footnote in where you'll be in the next year, two, three years, and, and it's going to be amazing to see that. Um, and see you develop, and, and hopefully by that time I'll still be getting coached by you, but maybe you'll be a bit too expensive, and uh, you'll only be working with, <laughs> working with elite. You'll, you'll, you'll always have the original price, don't worry. <laughs> awesome. Now, guys, anyone out there listening, um, I think I speak for both me and Callum when I say, wherever you are, uh, whatever you do, give it the beans. <laughs>